Hello and welcome back. It's a college football winning edge podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman, and I am joined, as always, by Xavier Trish and the owner and proprietor of the college football winning edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Nick, how was your week four? Or how is your, how was your week three? Your week four is coming up. <laughs> week three was great. A lot of uh, exciting games, better than expected. But week four is absolutely uh, just jam-packed with uh, big-time matchups, a lot of exciting games on tap. Can't wait to get started. Xavier, how was your week three? Week three was cool. Um, wish Florida would have lost. But other than that, um, <laughs> I had a lot of fun watching probably a lot of teams that I more than likely won't watch again this season. Shout-out to Temple for not one but two goal line stands on back-to-back possessions. So Yeah, they've been yeah. doing that this year. How about uh, Tennessee getting in the win column, too? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tennessee finished with the number 10 team performance rating of the week. So that means that uh, the the way that they played was actually uh, so impressive. It was one of the top 10 uh, game grades of the week, which that actually adjusts down for it being an FCS opponent, but... Uh, I don't, I'm not doing a great job of explaining it, but Tennessee was very impressive, believe it or not. <laughs> All I hear is that there were nine teams that performed better yeah. than them. All That's I hear true. is they dropped to zero because they were probably the 100th best team the last two weeks. So. <laughs> they were not great, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, big big performance. Things are uh, looking up. Don't I'm say easy. that. The Bulldogs shut out Arkansas State. A classy move by the fans uh, with uh, the uh, the pink out. Uh, You know, the head coach of Arkansas State, his wife recently passed away from breast cancer. So that was really cool to see. Uh, There were some good moments. There was some terrible coaching moments. I don't know what Pat Narduzzi was doing. Uh, not going for it on fourth and goal from the one yard line. He decided to kick the field goal and they missed it. I mean. I, I heard a stat, and I can't remember which show it was from. It was either from Moving the Sticks or from the Solid Verbal, where they were talking about how fourth and goal from the one ends up in a touchdown when you go for it 70% of the time. So I just was really shocked that they didn't go for that. And, you know, I talked about it on uh, the In This League College Fantasy Football podcast with Blaze because he's a Penn State fan. But were you guys shocked to see them not go for it from the one there? Yeah, I mean it's def- definitely surprising um, at this point. You know, the the word has gotten out that people need to start going for it on fourth down, not just fourth and one in that situation, but much more than they traditionally have been. So uh, for them not to go for it there, and for him to sort of double down on it afterward, and and continuing to say like if you know could do it over again, he'd do it the same way, uh, is is a bit surprising. Xavier, yeah, you have think, any comment on that? Uh, <laughs> I think it's just it's just dumb. I mean, what are what what are you losing if you go for it and you don't get it? Then you're trusting your defense to stop them at the one yard line. Ooh, you're hoping that they don't go 99 yards. I think it was what six minutes left, maybe f- six or five minutes left, and you kick the field goal and then you miss it, which is just like perfect comeuppance. He wasn't yeah. the only coach though. Mac Brown didn't have his players prepared either for what should have been a one-minute or a, a quote-unquote two-minute drive, and the 
running back stays in bounds with five seconds left and wastes the entire clock away. Well, that was so, weird. I mean, like, like it looked yeah. like he stepped out with a second left, but they were saying because he was engaged with an opponent or whatever, they they, they run the clock, which was very right. strange to me because you could see one second on the clock and his foot was on the line. So, uh, you know, I, you need a better sense of urgency. So, you know, in the end, of course, that's on Mac Brown, but... It seemed like they kind of got hosed in that one. What did you think of that call, Nick? Well, so I heard different explanations. I heard the one where uh, it said on the field that uh, they had stopped the player's momentum, uh, had stopped his forward progress, and at that point wound the clock. So it, the clock would have stopped on uh, for it being first down, but then there wouldn't have been enough, you know, just one second left, wouldn't have had enough time to put the ball down, snap it. But then later after the game, apparently the ACC said, oh, no, we should have had one second on the clock. So I don't know. It's It seemed like a lot of uh, questionable officiating uh, over the first few weeks so far. And, and the ACC, I know, had a couple of uh, uh, pretty ugly instances like that last week. Yeah, uh, I mean that was uh, that was a tough one. What did we think about uh, UCF over Stanford, Xavier? Oh my goodness, um, I don't know what to take from that game. Stanford looks so bad that it's one of those games where you ask yourself, is UCF that good or is Stanford that bad? And I'm left to think that maybe we just got Stanford wrong. Um, <laughs> I think a lot will be said this week with, uh, and I know we won't be talking about it, so I'll keep this brief, but Central Florida versus Pittsburgh, I'd, I'd like to see them in that game this week and how well they play. And if Central Florida can blow out Pittsburgh, then I'm more inclined to think that maybe Central Florida is just that good. But Stanford looks so, like, just god-awful. And, and everything I said about David Shaw having them ready, I take all of that back. They were not prepared whatsoever. Nick, UCF and Stanford, that's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I th- I'm about ready to give up on Stanford. They were <laughs> uh, number 12 in our preseason uh, team strength ratings, and we had them favored. Uh, the numbers had them favored in 11 regular season games with UCF is the only time they were an underdog. But uh, I-, I was worried the whole time. It felt not quite right. And uh, yeah, I think I think they've proven that they're, uh, you know, we, we probably had them maybe one, two spots too high, I'd say, uh, at, the, at this point. They're they're probably not a top 12 team. I think that's fair. What about say. UCF? I mean, is UCF <laughs> just strong? I think they might be. And and so that's that's sort of the other end of the spectrum. I was, I was uh, kind of joking there with Stanford. I, they, they looked so bad. I mean, and Paulson Adebo got picked on. They, you know, uh, were going right after him in the first half, and UCF – uh, was up what thirty eight to seven at halftime. Yeah. So uh, that was impressive on UCF's part, and I was I was a little bit worried because our numbers are very high on UCF, have been all season, and part of that is because uh, they were a little bit inflated at the quarterback position because we have Brandon Wimbush who had listed as the uh, you know the number one guy, and and he because was because he was such a highly rated recruit when he went to Notre Dame, uh, he is a 100 rated player in our overall VGR plus player rating. So that, that kind of skewed it a little bit. He might not deserve that rating. And obviously it seems that he's, uh, lost that job to a true freshman. Uh, so all that said, 
now we've got a, a guy in there who's got like a 78, 79 rating, and they're still uh, ranked in you know the top 25 as far as roster strength. They're a top 15 team in our team strength overall power ranking. So I think UCF is that good. I mean, that's about on par with where you know the pollsters have them and, and up there with a lot of other analytical models, maybe even higher than some. So I think I think UCF is still the same team that we've seen the last couple of years should run the table. If they don't, you know, it, it'll be a disappointment. A couple of the other uh, ranked games that we had in here, USC went on the road and lost to BYU and Arizona state went to Michigan state and won. Uh, yeah. Nick, tell me about these games. So the uh, USC BYU uh Actually, both of these games kind of played out really similarly to how we saw sort of how the numbers shook out, which which makes me feel good after we've missed so badly on uh, Stanford the the last couple of weeks. Uh, It's good to see a game sort of play out as uh, you hope it would, according to you know the way our system set up. So the Arizona State Michigan State game, uh, pretty much. I mean, we we talked about it last week and and talked about it was probably going to be an ugly game a low scoring game and it really did work out that way arizona state obviously again with an officiating uh instance there at the end of the game probably should have been called for a leaping penalty on the kick that missed and then of course that you know had the 12 men on the field which was uh, a bit of an issue on the of the play before it was kind of a mess at the end but uh arizona state was able to to win win ugly win on the road which which is a uh uh, great sign for them. Their defense has played really, really well this year. Um, Michigan State, I think people were a little quick to overreact, thinking maybe the offense uh, was fixed after a strong performance in week two. So um, was pretty pleased with how that game played out. Uh, BYU and USC, we projected it close. And, you know, you got a true freshman making his first start on the road. And uh, this week after, you know, he looks so, so good in week two, looked a little bit more like a true freshman, threw three picks. Uh, BYU was dropping eight guys into coverage pretty much every play, and the Trojans didn't seem to really adjust to that, and, and it bit them. So uh, sometimes things work out that way, and, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the whole situation there plays out at USC, how much longer Clay Halton's got, because that was one that really probably couldn't afford it to, uh, to lose. Yeah, you know, I thought we were done with all the Urban Meyer talk because Clay Helton had looked so good, Xavier, and then uh, they lose this one on the road. A tough BYU team, and that's a tough place to play and all that stuff, but probably not a game they should lose, right? Yeah, um, and when it comes to I don't know, I don't know about USC so far. I'm, I'm the Bucks still out on them because, in my opinion, the Bucks still out on the Pac-12 as a whole. So we'll see how many games that they actually lose going into this. Uh, obviously, going into their Pac-12 part of the schedule but um byu once again when they win the turnover battle they win games um they won the turnover battle against tennessee and then they won it against uh usc that seems to be their formula um my only worry for byu would be that you know to win the turnover battle um in the usc game so uh so greatly to only win in overtime would be a little bit uh concerning however you know back-to-back wins against Major program names, maybe not how they played, but at least by name, it's, it's still big for the program. Um, and I love what they have going on up there. Um, and I felt like what kind of what Nick said, they kind of had the same kind of game plan 
for USC that they did against Tennessee. And that isn't a good thing for Guarantano if they were using the same game plan for you that they would use for a freshman. But, you know, I think uh, kudos to BYU for winning that game and uh, going 2-1. and What did you think about ASU and Michigan State? <sighs> Once again, <laughs> I was wrong. I, I just I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that game. It was It was one of those grinded out performances that I almost always expect Michigan State to come out with, you know, you know, 7, 10, 14, 10 is, you know, what I expected the score to be. And it's funny, ESPN actually posted the score as 10, 10 and them going into overtime. Um, well, they made the first I, kick with the 12 mm-hmm. men on the field. So yeah, that was, uh, it seemed like that's exactly what was going to happen. And yeah. I was surprised that ASU had kind of blown it at the end there. Same. And then, uh, and then, like Nick said, on the re-kick, there probably should have been a leaping penalty, but at least you leave that up to discretion. I mean, people can count to 12, you know. <laughs> the leaping over someone is up to the ref's judgment, so right. uh, you, don't, you don't ever want to be in that spot where it's coming down to a referee's judgment. So Absolutely. Uh, shout out to the Saints fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Saints and Seahawks fans uh, definitely mm-hmm. uh, know that story. Uh, Oklahoma State did beat up on Tulsa 40-21, to uh, so we were about right in line on that one. Uh, we added it at 36-24, so uh, pretty close on that final score. I like that game. And then a couple other of these ranked games, Iowa and Iowa State had, uh, I believe, 17 lightning delays, Nick. Uh, but that game was fun, eighteen seventeen, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was interesting. It was a it was a midday kick that turned into a primetime game. Uh, <laughs> got to got to see it all day long. It seemed like, but uh, yeah, that one you know played out about as well as everybody expected. Just a, another ugly, low scoring Iowa Iowa State game, and uh, you figure one of the teams is is going to you know make a mistake at the end or, or somebody else is going to capitalize on a mistake at the end. And this time it happened to be a punt that, uh, you know, guy got in there and, uh, had his, had his back turned and the, the ball hit it. And, and, uh, Iowa was able to recover and, and take the rest of the clock down. So kind of a, a, an ugly game, but nothing too out of the ordinary for those two teams. Uh, the Clemson game at Syracuse, you know, uh, Syracuse had, played Clemson a little bit closer and not so much in this one 41 to six the final in that game Xavier clearly frustrated I, I am and, be, and, and it's because it was a turning point in the game they start the second half they're not being blown out just yet they kicked the ball and and Trevor Lawrence throws a pick and they're in the red zone and all Tommy DeVito has to do is throw it away he throws a pick the very next play, Rodgers goes, I think, 80-plus yards after stiff-arming a, a Syracuse defender and takes it to the house. And from then, you know, you know, the race was on. And I was, and at that point, you know, I'm actually watching the game whilst at the Atlanta United game. I was just frustrated because I was like, Syracuse, that was your sole opportunity to make this a ball game. And you blew it on what should have been a throwaway of all things. He wasn't even trying to fit it in there for a score. He just threw it to the Clemson defender. I, I was... I, I just come on, really, really. It was no. Nick. Uh, maybe a more objective look at this game. <laughs> what did you think about well, the Clemson and Syracuse game? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it it taught us some things. I mean, we you know, I I try to 
not rush to judgment. So uh, Syracuse did not look good in week one against Liberty. They were, you know, they looked better defensively, obviously, but but the offense kind of sputtered coming out of the gate. Uh, and then week two, obviously, they got blown out by Maryland. And, and so a lot of people at that point had dumped Syracuse. I wasn't quite ready to to do it just yet. Thought maybe, all right, you know, that that's a little bit of a letdown spot. Maryland uh, is off to a great start, new new head coach. Maybe they just sort of caught lightning in a bottle for a week and, and Syracuse just, you know, had a, had an off day. But uh, now it's it's happened three weeks in a row where the Orange can't consistently move the football. And then obviously, you know, what what their game plan on defense uh, was was fairly aggressive. Put themselves in a position where if a couple of things you know broke the right way, if you jump around here or there and and are able to cause a turnover, then you really do have a chance to uh, make things tough on Clemson. Put the pressure on them. Uh, that is a recipe for an upset. But if you are aggressive in a, in a situation and, and miss, which happened from time to time. Uh, Clemson was able to take advantage of, uh, you know, some one-on-one opportunities. And like Xavier said, you know, break a tackle here and there and break it 80 yards. And that that is a way that it can get out of hand quickly. And, and we sort of saw that um, as the game wore on, that, that obviously Clemson's just completely outmatched uh Syracuse completely outmatched by Clemson uh just uh yeah it, it's sort of like a uh man amongst boys with with Clemson right now it seems I think the other two games that we covered from last week uh were uh Oklahoma State and Tulsa 40 to 21 in that game uh we had predicted 36 to 24 that was fairly close um, but that was kind of a boring game. We don't really need to talk about that. That was Tyler Wallace, 90 yard touchdowns to beat me in CFF game. And I think that was the most exciting. <laughs> 256 Hubbard went bonkers. Yeah. I was like nation right now. Yeah. At least I started Jamar Jefferson, uh, who uh, was injured. So I don't uh, have Chuba anywhere, but, uh, we'll, we'll get We'll get into Oklahoma state a little bit later on this show, but, uh, I think Arizona and Texas Tech being 28 to 14. Look, listen, I, I know the math doesn't add up, but that's lower scoring than Arizona State and Michigan State at 10 7, right? For these two teams, that is uh, that was way worse than we thought it was going to be. It was the be. expect, that's for sure. Right. Alan Bowman uh, got hurt in this game and he played through it, but he's going to miss probably two months with a broken collarbone. So, yeah. mm-hmm. um,. A rough game there, but Khalil Tate looked good. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, fourteen to twenty-three. He, as a package, he looked great. Eighty-four now, yard touchdown run. That's what I care about. That, so. that's, that's that's the one. He he right. finally looked. We finally got to see him uh, just take off and run straight line speed, and and he still got it. So that that one run was was uh exciting to see for sure but obviously yeah he's got still has some work in the uh in the passing game um not not super crisp quite yet but uh again sort of with the you know looking at the numbers and that that's at this point sort of what i care most about like what are we missing where are we you know what what's going wrong uh it was nice to see uh that our number said arizona has a clear talent advantage and they really did utilize that on that long, what, 90-plus uh, yard drive that took 
you know, 10, 11, 12 plays, all running plays. Uh, that's what was missing in week zero against Hawaii. That's what we, when we talked that week, we expected, all right, Arizona has a talent advantage. They have an advantage on the line of scrimmage. They should run the football very well against a weak Hawaii defense and it didn't really work out that way and he well, almost tied it at the end of the game like people would have been talking more about him if he had scored on that play but he didn't absolutely. Oh, that's true. Yeah. absolutely but then to see them uh you know on that really the the drive that put the game away the one where they scored to go up the two touchdowns 28 14 it was good to see uh and and you guys are are you know have been on the record kind of down on uh kevin someone but in in this instance <laughs> he said all right you know we're we we have this advantage we can uh run the ball right at them and they can't stop us so uh that's what we're going to do we're going to put you know two scores uh a two score gap and and take the game and you know it wasn't the 63 45 final we we thought we might see but um it, it was good to see arizona sort of react that way and impose their will and and take advantage where they have an advantage xavier well i mean what did you think of this game i mean that might have been the biggest compliment someone will ever get on this podcast um <laughs> uh he did what he was supposed to do great job but um, <laughs> when I look at this, yeah, you look like BJ <laughs> Novak in, in the office. Like, congratulations, Jim, you did your job. Way to be. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's exactly what I got from what Nick said. He ran the ball when he was supposed to run the ball. You know, um, <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to go ahead and figure that out, especially when you've got a guy like Khalil Tate um, going off for ninety-yard touchdown runs. I think at that point, Sky, you or I could have taken the headset and be like, "We're just gonna run it." <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I mean, Arizona played to their talent advantage. And so I think that, you know, Nick said it probably better than I can. The only thing I would say, like, the NFL scout in me still says Khalil Tate has a far way to go as a as a quarterback. Um, now the good thing for him is Lamar Jackson is going crazy in the NFL at the moment. So maybe there's a spot for him on a team. Maybe somebody sees him as possibly like a Lamar Jackson-like talent. Maybe not um, as dynamic, but he's definitely up there. Uh, so maybe that's a positive for him, but uh, he for for Arizona to consistently win games this year, he can't go you know fourteen to twenty three, a buck eighty five, a touchdown, and two interceptions. That's just not going to work um, once they get in the Pac twelve play. So the last thing I want to talk about from week three is uh, and, and Nick, you you can uh, <laughs> talked a little bit about it on uh, in this league CFF podcast. Is UCLA the worst team? <laughs> it, it, let's say power five not in the they nation. they are bad so i so uh wednesday i i write a few things for a couple of different outlets and and one of them is uh using our cfp winning edge win probabilities we we take our uh projected point spreads and convert those to win probabilities and and do that for all the uh, top 25 teams for uh fansided.com and uh UCLA is playing Washington State this week, and I, I did my little blurb saying like, oh, you know, uh, a big surprise, Washington State uh, found a new quarterback, and, and wouldn't you know it, the new guy's leading the nation in uh, passing. And then, uh, like, UCLA fans could only dream of such things because uh, the Bruins uh, have averaged four point one yards per play which is dead last in the fbs they've averaged 14 points per game 
because they've scored exactly 14 points in every game. For you math majors out there, that's 42 points this year. Washington State scored 110 points in its first two games cool. and had a somewhat disappointing 31-point uh, performance in Week 3 against Houston. So uh, that's about as big a mismatch from a uh, uh, statistical standpoint at this this point in the season as, as we could hope for. Hey, I don't know <laughs> about UCLA being the worst team in college football. I'm going to give a little shout-out to a team about 30 minutes down the street from me, shouts out to the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. You got Aww. beat on your home field by the Citadel. Nice job. Way to go. <laughs> you know, so you lost to a nice. quarterback who literally threw the ball one time or four times, had one completion for 30 yards, and it had to be a touchdown. Yeah. Rambling wreck tech. Look, yes, sir. I mean, I mean you're not wrong. So uh, I, I'm – I'm I'm finding it tough. I'm I'm finding it tough to come back with something to say to that. Uh, but at least with Georgia Tech, we knew it was going to be a transition year, right? New coach, changing the system, having to recruit your own guys, and all that stuff. So losing the Citadel, while obviously not uh, ideal, um, not completely unexpected. UCLA looking like hot garbage. Um, just not, not acceptable, especially when you have one of the best coaches, he's had a year to recruit some people and we know what the problem is. I I would think in my opinion, the problem is Dorian Thompson Robinson. He's been awful, right, Nick? Yeah. I mean, it's, we would have expected, uh, to see a little bit more growth from true freshman season to a sophomore season. Um, and it, it, yeah, Things just don't seem quite right. I mean, on paper, UCLA has, you know, top 25, at least top 30 talent. And uh, for them to struggle so much uh, on the offensive side of the ball with Chip Kelly, who does have an impressive track record as an offensive mastermind, really. I mean, he was the hottest coach in the country the earlier part of this decade. And then uh, people ask, you know, hey, where did that Oregon offense go? And this week with with reporters, he was saying, you know, why why would we do that? That's, you know, that's so many years old. We're, we're off to bigger and better, newer things. Uh, and, and you know, obviously those uh, changes have, have not paid off, at least as of yet. So uh, I think that, you know, hopefully he's, he does have the long game, you know, working and, and things will improve there. I, I do, uh, as, as a, you know, sitting in the state of New Hampshire, people here are, are uh, big fans of Chip Kelly, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been disappointing. That's for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I, o- it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Chip will end up the coach of Florida state next year. Oh, my and, God. Ooh, oh, I don't yeah. Know oh, it. yeah. Oh, oh, they will. <laughs> They'll want to. They'll want to coach with a little bit of cash. Your crystal ball beating. is broken, Xavier. I, <laughs> I don't think that's right. So, but let's move on to some of these matchups for Week Four, shall we? And I love this one to start out. Uh, and it's probably selfish to say because I picked it, but uh, Cal at Ole Miss, and Cal just became ranked. They've looked very good so far, but Ole Miss, being the home team and being an SEC team is a two-point favorite. It opened up as a pick'em, and the the over-under has also moved down. It opened up at 43-and-a-half. 
41 and a half is uh, the current uh, spread. Uh, the, the money line is 50 50. Uh, but with the spread, it's 83% of the money's going on Ole Miss, guys. So, uh, Nick, let, let's start with you. And 96% on the over, by the way, to 4% on the under because it's so low, 41.5. Um, you know, Cows look like a nice defensive team so far this year, so I'm not surprised at the low over. And Ole Miss has a lot of moving parts, but if they click, this game will easily go over. But I just don't know... I just don't know what to expect here because Ole Miss has looked bad, uh, you know, according to all the pundits, and Cowles look good, yet Ole Miss is still favored. So uh, what do we see in this game uh, for this week, Nick? Well, the the first thing that jumps out is, is the difference in quote-unquote talent level. So uh, Ole Miss being in the South, being the SEC, uh, has recruited at a top 25 level. They've, they rank 25th in the country and average 247 sports rating. So all the players on their roster, you add them all up, the average is, is uh, they're the top 25 uh, in the country as far as that pure talent number. In roster strength, they're a top 30 team. Cal, in both of those uh, numbers are in the high fifties, early or low sixties. So that's, that's a pretty big gap. I mean, there, there's, you know, not much difference between say a, a top 15 team and a top 25 team, but there's, there's a big gap between top 25 and top 60. I mean, we're talking, uh, there are 65 power five teams. Cal is towards the bottom, um, uh, of the power five as far as their uh, just pure talent numbers go. Now, they obviously have a, a different, you know, they're going after perhaps a different type of player. Um, so they're, they've, you know, found some under the radar guys, uh, you know, linebacker Evan Weaver has uh, been so productive. He's risen to a 100 rated player uh, and he's widely considered one of the best linebackers in the country and, and wasn't, you know, a super highly recruited guy. Ashton Davis was a, a track guy and a, and a football walk on, and he's turned into a 100 rated player because he's been so productive as a safety. And he's also uh, just a dynamic return man. So they found some, some hidden gems. They've coached them up really well, developed uh, the players really well. Um, and uh, you know, they, they play a style uh, of football that, Sort of like we were talking about with Arizona State and, and Michigan State, if, if they slow things down, they want to win ugly, they want to beat you up, and that's paid off. I mean, so far they're they're three and zero and haven't scored more than twenty seven points against anybody, and that was in their season opener against UC Davis. Uh, they beat Washington on the road in you know a, a multiple lightning delay game that didn't end until well after. Uh, midnight on the west coast and then last week against north texas they jumped out to an early lead and then just sort of sat on it and uh, it ended up being fairly close but they won 23 17 so uh this is a team that that just plays solid fundamental defense they want to uh shorten the game and uh have to expect that that will be somewhat uh, successful given uh, the situation. This game kicks off at 11 a.m. local time, um, and Ole Miss, though they are talented on paper, hasn't always risen uh, to um, expectations. So uh, they're still working some kinks out offensively, and and uh, you know still still have a little bit of uh, 
uh, improvement to be made on that side of the football, um, really on both sides, to be honest with the, with the new coordinators. But uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting matchup. It's, it's contrasting styles. Uh, it's, you know, you wouldn't really put these two schools together in any conversation uh, whatsoever, much less football. And, and to see them, you know, play such different styles and, and meeting in Oxford and kicking off early and sort of a sleepy time when the body clock for Cal will be 9 a.m. Pacific. It, it's just it's kind of point. a weird game. <laughs> I, I, that's and, a great point to make, seriously. Like, uh, you know, uh, bo- body clock is uh, a big part of it. And uh, I think that's a great point to make. I, it's not something that even crept into my brain, so... Uh, I, I really like that point. I didn't mean to cut you off, though. I'm sorry. Oh no, that that that's pretty much it. I mean, that the you know, in in a lot of instances, you would expect that sort of thing, the the body clock thing, to hurt the visitors. But I think, in a weird way, it almost uh, the effects that you would expect. So a team to sort of come out flat because of that uh, is kind of what Cal is hoping for. I mean, obviously they they're not looking to come out flat themselves, but they do kind of want a, a slow game, kind of a, you know, maybe trade a few punts early on and play field position, that sort of thing. That That's sort of the recipe that they've used this year and, and under this uh, coaching staff the last couple of years, and, and that's the kind of game Cal can win. Um, I do expect our numbers actually did, uh, when we released our early numbers on, on Sunday morning, had Ole Miss about, a field goal favorite and over the course of the week where we made some depth chart adjustments uh that's now at roughly three and a half points which is pretty pretty much what uh the uh odds makers have it now so we see it playing out pretty much that way fairly low scoring Ole Miss should uh theoretically be able to escape with a win we've got it at 24 20 so that might even be a little high wouldn't be surprised if it was something in the 21 17 range Xavier, I mean, this is, uh, you said you were having a hard time figuring out the Pac-12, so I hate to throw you right in the fire here, but let's start out with the Pac-12 versus the SEC game. So uh, yeah. what do you think here? Well, to kind of continue with the the theme of, you know, outside effects, I think that another thing is to go along with it, Cal has not played outside of the West Coast yet, so that's another thing we have to take into account. Um, obviously two games at home and the one game against Washington. So they, they have yet to leave that time zone whatsoever. So I think that that is a big thing. I also think that um, the heat that they'll be playing in is going to be something huge. Um, right now, the current weather in California is in the low 80s, while in old, uh, in Mississippi, it is uh, mid to high 90s. So that might come into play. With a thousand percent uh, humidity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so um, that's going to play a role, obviously. Um, and the players and with having an early start, sometimes your body just doesn't get ready and you, it could cause you to, uh, you know, be a little bit more lackadaisical when you're stretching and that could lead to issues later on throughout the game. So that'd be something to look forward to as well. As far as these teams are concerned, uh, when I look at Cal, I look at a defense that so far has played well above what I thought that they would do this year. Uh, they made Jacob Eason look rather pedestrian. And they confused him a lot of the time. And I think that that's going to be something uh, that's a calling card for them going against Matt Corral, who has yet to look comfortable all year. Uh, even in the Arkansas game, he didn't look terribly comfortable at times, but not, you know, the five star that Mississippi or yeah, the five star that Mississippi fans are probably hoping he would look like game in and game out. I think that it's going to be something that California is going to hold their their hat on 
is confusing him in the pocket, making him see multiple reads, and hopefully getting to the quarterback before he has time to throw the ball. Um, on the Ole Miss side, for me, their defense just has to be bend, don't break. Um, I think that that is something that they've been able to accomplish a lot this year. Um, even in the game that they lost to Memphis, their defense was very bend, don't break, which kept them in it. And we all know football. All it takes is for one play to change the entire complexion of a game. Um, they didn't get that play against Ole Miss. They, I mean, against Memphis, but they were able to get those plays um, against Arkansas. So uh, I think this is going to be a defensive battle. I would take the under, if I was honest. Um, I don't see either teams putting over 20 points. I'm looking at more of a 2017-type score, uh, with it being, like I said, with it coming down to maybe one or two plays that decide who wins this ballgame. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one, and I think that uh, I like the points that you guys made about the travel, and I think that that's something that uh, people don't necessarily look at. I think uh, a lot of people will look at, you know, Cal's ranked, Ole Miss isn't. Ole Miss has a new starting quarterback. They haven't looked great, so let's go bet on them. But, uh, you know, the, the money, like I said, is on Ole Miss, so, you know, betters are, are smarter than a lot of people will give them credit for, but... Uh, you know, if Cal comes to play, they can win this game, but I think they're playing from behind to start. So I'm with you guys. I think it's probably going to be a old Miss um, either. I think it's going to be close for most of the game, but maybe it's one of those that, um, you know, things break bad late. So I, I, I would take them and give the points for sure. What about this next one? Let's get out of these conferences and go to the, the Big Ten here. Michigan at Wisconsin, Nick. This is going to be a great game to watch um, because Michigan looks vulnerable this year. Both these teams are coming off a bye week, which is nice. Uh, for Wisconsin, they have looked absolutely dominant in their two wins so far, and they are favored in this game by three and a half points. And it has moved. It's opened up a little bit because it opened at three. So they got the hook there, three and a half points. The over is 43, so low. Um 67% of the money is on Wisconsin uh, in the, on the spread and on the money line. 82% is on Wisconsin. A lot of people expecting this one to go over to 66%. So, Nick, what do we think of Michigan at Wisconsin? Well, my, my first thought is this is definitely a situation where I think people are being very, very quick to judge these two teams. And, and you know, you, you see Michigan come out. Uh, a little sloppy in the season opener against Middle Tennessee, and then obviously we we all saw the uh, the the very tricky uh, situation they got themselves in Army, how they had to escape in overtime just to just to win that game. So uh, that that's obviously on the on the one side. Wisconsin on the other has been like you said, just completely dominant. Haven't allowed a point yet. Um, they've They've been explosive offensively. They can run. They can throw. They can, you know, they're, uh, as far as I mentioned, our team uh, performance ratings earlier, Wisconsin ranks uh, sixth in the country so far with a 95.06 average game grade. So they've performed at an elite level while Michigan has ranked 40th um, in team performance. So not, you know, obviously not. Uh, uh, playing to their potential. We still have Michigan ranked uh, 10th overall in our team strength uh, power ratings, and Wisconsin is down at uh, 24. Now, you might think, all right, we're, we're uh, not taking into account what we've seen. You know, we've seen Wisconsin look great. We've seen Michigan uh, look not great, for lack of a better term. And 
I, I personally think that we should still <laughs> sort of subscribe at least somewhat to our priors and Michigan coming in to the season. A lot of people were saying, you know, this is the year they win the big 10 East and they've got the talent to do it. They're, they're loaded at several positions. You know, Shea Patterson has not been perfect. He's been dealing with an oblique issue, but uh, he is a highly regarded player has done some really good things in the past. Uh, the receiving core is solid. Again, they've been dealing with some injuries. Donovan people's Jones hasn't taken the field yet and and other receivers have been banked up here or there the offensive line they've, they've been without their left tackle for the first two games um and and so you know things like that have led in part uh with the you know growing pains we might have expected with a new offensive coordinator coming in trying to uh modernize the the offense as a lot of people would say um they've had uh, injuries at running back. I, I've heard some whispers that Zach uh, Charbonnet, who's, who's been the uh, the true freshman, ran for 100 yards in week two. He might be uh, questionable this game. So Michigan's been dealing with a lot of that, while Wisconsin, two pretty weak opponents. I mean, you know, weren't impressed with USF, weren't impressed uh, with Central Michigan. Um, I, I think people might be inflating Wisconsin just a little bit. I mean, this is a team that, uh, similar to Cal, uh, recruits at a lower level compared to a blue blood like Michigan. I mean, they're ranked in the 40s in roster strength and and uh, and in 247 rating. So they've obviously got some great players. Jonathan Taylor is is phenomenal. Should be a, a Heisman candidate. Um, the receivers have looked good. Jack Cohn at quarterback has looked very good. The offensive line, even though it's young, has has uh, really performed quite well. Um, they're a little banged up on defense, uh, but uh, you know this is a good team. I'm not sure they should be favored. Our numbers uh, still do favor Michigan. We've got Michigan as a uh, 3.64 uh, projected favorite. Uh, point and uh, uh, 3.64 points uh, in Michigan's favor there, and, and expect a another low-scoring game. Uh, our final score prediction is Michigan 21, Wisconsin 17, and and obviously, as you mentioned, a lot of people, you know, that that's uh, the contrarian view at this point, but that's really similar to how we saw things shaping out in the preseason, and I think even though. Uh, Wisconsin has looked so good and Michigan has looked so shaky. We shouldn't throw that out completely. So Feels like uh, a I feel right. <laughs> in a way, in a way, mm-hmm. uh, but I feel pretty confident in this. I, I think Michigan 21, Wisconsin 17. Uh, I could certainly see it playing out that way. Obviously Wisconsin's good enough to win. They've got the home field advantage, but uh, I think this is a game that, that Michigan will find a way to win. Xavier, I mean, do you, do you think this is a a Michigan win? And uh, it feels it, to be to be honest, it almost kind of feels like the way that Ole Miss and Cal feels to me. Like it feels like people get tricked into taking Wisconsin in this game because they've looked so good, and Michigan almost lost at home to Army, but a bye week uh, to prepare and a game that they historically win. What do you think about this one? Well. I am going to be the contrarian here. I think Wisconsin gets this victory. And I think it comes down to injuries on Michigan's side and the lack of faith I've had and continue to have in Shea Patterson's ability to play the quarterback position. Um, Shea Patterson, for me, is one of the 
few five-star quarterbacks that I look at, and I'm still waiting for him to show me why he had that rating come out of coming out of high school. <laughs> um, he he has yet to have back-to-back game performances where he's looked, you know, like a five-star. And I think at the end of the day, you have to look at Wisconsin is the team with the confidence right now. Wisconsin has blown out both both of its opponents, and Wisconsin's the home team, so they're going to be carrying a lot of confidence confidence into this game. They've also had two weeks to prepare for a Michigan team that has looked very shaky offensively. And although they had two weeks to prepare, they didn't get much healthier in those two weeks. Um, so it's going to be about the same when it comes to, you know, who's going to be out there for Michigan come Saturday. And I think this Wisconsin team is going to show that they, that even though with a young offensive line and uh, a relatively young, as far as, you know, in his ability to playing a young quarterback, that they're going to lean on Jonathan Taylor. And I'm looking for the Michigan defense to show me that they can stop the run uh, in this game. They, they haven't really had to show it against Middle Tennessee and Army to an extent. Um, but let's see if they can. I think Jonathan Taylor is going to have a field day. I think all fantasy owners for Jonathan Taylor can have uh, can sweep, can have you know nice dreams on Friday, dreaming about him scoring touchdowns on Saturday. I don't see why we have this 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 faith that Michigan will get it right when at least, you know, over the last two years, this this game has been one and one. The home teams have won in both matchups in 2017. Or in, yeah, in 2017, Wisconsin won at home. And in 2018, Michigan won at home. So I think the trend continues. Wisconsin gets his win at home. I don't think that Michigan's talent is going to uh, provide them with extra strength in this game. I think Wisconsin's just a better overall team. And they'll show that come Saturday. God, I hope so. I hope you're right. But I think <laughs> Michigan's going to win this game. I can't Khaki stand jeans. Harbaugh. Khaki's gotta go. Yeah, and sleepovers and all that nonsense. I just I can't stand <laughs> Jim Harbaugh. I'm so sick of him. But uh, we move on here. We're moving on to Washington at BYU. BYU's look strong. Uh, they beat Tennessee on the road. They beat USC at home. But Washington is a six and a half point favorite here. After losing to Cal, they dominated Hawaii. Uh, th- this line opened at six and a half. It hasn't moved. It stayed. The open has opened up a little bit. 50 or the over, excuse me. Uh, 50 and a half is what it opened at. 52 is what it's sitting at now. Um, with the spread, 85% of the money on Washington. 100% of the money is on UW straight up. At what I'm looking at to 0% on BYU. So I'm guessing it's just less than 1%. Um, the <laughs> over under is split 47 to 53% uh, in favor of the over. I think people just want to bet the over because at the end of the game, that's what you, you want to root for it. So you don't want to root <laughs> for teams not to score. So I think the overs are going to win on almost every single game. But Nick, tell us about uh, the Huskies at the Cougars here. This should be a good one to watch. Well, I, I like that uh, you two guys have, have picked these three games, and and the first one are, are, uh, was part of our poll as well, and the the listeners uh, and and Twitter followers helped make that choice, which we appreciate. But uh, pick pick games where the eye test doesn't quite line up with what uh, our numbers say, and so that that's interesting. It, it is a good test to see. Um, you know, where, where are we, where are some of our deficiencies? Because we don't rate BYU very high. We have BYU ranked 63rd, uh, had them in the preseason a little lower than that. Um, only favored in, I think, five regular season games. And obviously, uh, as an underdog to both Tennessee and USC, which they 
certainly won those games and, and deservedly so. Um, so our numbers don't love BYU. They're, they're uh, even, you know, Zach Wilson, who the eye test is, he's a very exciting quarterback. He's, he's uh, got the ability to elude uh, pass rushers, which has been uh, important because he's been sacked eight times already and, and has been under pressure uh, much more than that. But uh, he's, he's, been able to you know get out of the pocket and make some plays he scored a uh touchdown that that gave byu a, a late lead in the fourth quarter against usc a 16 yard touchdown run and um he's done some great things passing as well i mean i've mentioned before you know remember how he did in, in the bowl game he was perfect completed every pass so uh, obviously he's he's able to get in rhythm there as well but um that eye test you know, doesn't line up with with what our numbers say. Um, the projected uh, point spread uh, that that we have, based on our team strength ratings, has Washington as a double digit favorite. Uh, Washington is still ranked 11th according to our numbers, still the highest ranked team in the Pac-12. And and do they deserve that because they lost to Cal? No, probably not. Uh, but uh, again, that was sort of a, an odd situation, that that game. There are outside factors that uh, can cause some weird things to happen. So I'm not ready to, uh, to, to just toss Washington to the side just yet. I have been impressed uh, with Jacob Eason at times. I think he's looked uh, really good against uh, the lesser competition. Obviously, he did not look great against Cal, but last week uh, sort of recaptured that that week one magic he showed where he looked like, hey, maybe he'll live up to his potential. I'm a little concerned at the the running back position. They've uh, really been spreading the ball around. I, I was hoping Salvan Ahmed would would get the bulk of the carries there, but um, you know, saw some good things from tight end Hunter Bryant. I've seen flashes here and there from some of the other receivers. They're getting some of the young guys involved, like Puka Nakua, who uh, is is got huge upside and then Washington is as far as a defensive team uh they're really about as good as it gets in uh the Pac-12 and and Miles Bryant uh had a couple of picks last week against Hawaii um they they've got some pass rushers as well uh linebackers still a little bit of an issue but uh and the defensive line still young but but defensively you know they they've got a strong track record got a good thing going so uh our numbers see this as washington getting a 3120 uh, victory and and that might seem a little high and and maybe it is but um washington is uh player for player the more talented team they do have more upside i believe as a program um and you know obviously we've seen BYU pull off some upsets they're very tough to beat at home and we've seen washington fail to meet expectations but uh I, I sort of have to stick with uh, w- with what the numbers say, and, and you guys, please feel free to, to argue with me based on uh, what you've seen. But uh, at, at this point, you know, I'm pretty confident that, that Washington will be able to go in and uh, pick up a win by, you know, two scores or more. You know, I'm not going to argue with you at all. I think that a loss to Cal, and you can expect this stuff from, you know, young kids because that's what, you know that's what college football fan. You know college football players are young kids. They're you know between eighteen and twenty two in general. So uh, I think they they you know look past Cal a little bit, and they got smoked, and that that will happen. But I think something like that, especially happening uh, earlier in the year, and especially in a game like this before 
going on the road to a team like BYU, who also just beat USC and, you know, beat Tennessee on the road, who, you know, for as much crap as we give them, they're still an SEC talented team. Uh, I, I think that you start to take that stuff seriously. So, Xavier, where are you on this one? Because I'm all, all over betting on Washington in this game. Oh, yeah, you definitely took my t- took my sentiments. Um, you know, same. Come on, same. I was well, expecting if, you guys to. No. To, uh, no, <laughs> no I, absolutely not. I think BYU, what you also have to look at is the fact that, yes, BYU has had two upsets. Yes, they've looked okay, but both of them took overtime. Which means that in the grand scheme of things, it was rather it was a rather flip of the coin of whether or not they would have won the game. Um, if a play went here or a play went there, it's not like they went to Tennessee and blew them out, or if they you know handled USC while they were at home. Uh, I think you have to look at this game and you have to think just you know purely based off of talent and the fact that Washington now has its head screwed on, um, or so we hope. <laughs> that you know they're gonna they're gonna play up to their talent level. I said in the preseason that I think Washington has one or two boneheaded losses on their schedule. They already completed number one of that theory. <laughs> Let's see if they complete number two here, but I don't see it happening. I think that you know BYU has too good of a track record coming in that you know they're gonna have those kids ready to go and they're gonna have the kids more so than anything just locked in and lack of focus won't be the reason why they lose this ball game. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely on that. So I think we're all on the same Washington page. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. We can we can. Oh no, move that's on. good. I, yeah, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy uh, with it. Well, I mean, I think with 100 percent of the money going on Washington too, it seems like yeah. most people are. Uh, what about Auburn at A and M? This should be a really good matchup here. A and M is the favorite. It opened up at two and a half. It's uh, gone up to four. The uh, surprisingly, the over opened at 49, and that's come down a point. And this is one of the very few games that I've seen where the under is getting the most money. It's 66% to 34% on the under. Uh, Auburn is getting the love on the spread. They're getting 56% on and straight up. They're getting 76%. So uh, people are liking Auburn in this game. But Nick, tell us, what do you think about uh, you know Texas A&M hosting? Uh, the Tigers here. Well, these are two really evenly matched teams. I mean, I'm looking at our uh, final score predictions and then we kind of line up the teams side by side. You can see how they rank uh, for each position and unit. You can see the head coach ratings, team performance ratings, roster strength, all of that. And Auburn and Texas A&M are within, you know, a point or two of each other in a lot of uh, different categories, specifically roster strength. I mean, they're both at, at 86 plus. So um, these are two very evenly matched rosters, uh, two pretty good head coaches. I know, you know, Gus Malzahn obviously has uh, been in some uh, hot water from, from time to time. But uh, as far as, you know, player for player, these teams match up pretty well. Uh, both teams are relying on true freshmen in some key spots. For Texas A&M, they've got a true freshman running back, Isaiah Spiller, true freshman uh, guard, and Kenyon Green, and he's going to be going up against uh, one of the, if not the, uh, best defensive line in the country. Uh, but to that point, Auburn, Derek Brown, their their superstar up front, uh, played one series last week against Kent State. Been a bit hobbled, not sure uh, exactly what his uh, level will be 
come game time. You know, will, will he, you know, was it just a precaution? They just removed him, said, you know, rest up for Texas A&M, or is there something a little bit more there? We don't know quite yet. They've also got uh, a questionable uh, left tackle, Prince Tega Wanagu, is, uh, uh, has been hurt, and his backup uh, actually, who started last week against Kent State, uh, it has been hurt and will be out for six weeks. So they're down to, if Prince Tega can't go, they're down to their uh, third string left tackle. That's that's a bit of a uh, ugh, bit of a concern. Uh, at the receiver position, Seth Williams, their most talented receiver, is questionable. Didn't play in the last game. So if I'm when I'm looking down, you know, the list of players to watch and quarterbacks, a true freshman. Uh, the wide receiver, offensive line, defensive line has their best players are questionable. That gives me uh, a little bit of pause. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. I look to the other side. I see Kellen Mond is a 98-rated quarterback. He's a junior. He's he's looked good in spots. Obviously, against Clemson, wasn't great, but elsewhere, been pretty good. Uh, the receiving uh, core for Texas A&M. They've got three guys in the 90s, um, and they've got some talent on defense as well. Their their secondary has got a couple of guys back who were injured and suspended the last, you know first few weeks of the season. So uh, Texas A&M at this point seems to be uh, you know ha- has more answers than questions in, in a lot of places. Uh, Auburn still has some questions, particularly. Uh, on the injury side of things. So uh, when I look at that, I'm not surprised that our uh, projection actually has Texas A&M almost a touchdown favorite. We've got them uh, favored by 6.4 points. And uh, the way that shakes out as a final score prediction, we've got Texas A&M 27, Auburn 21. So do expect it to be on the lower side scoring. Um, but uh, yeah, a little, little bit uh, more bullish on Texas A&M than, than the odds makers have it at this point. Xavier, what do you think about this uh, SEC matchup? Seems like a fun one. I think it will be. I think the key in this game, uh, more so than anything, is what team is going to start the fastest. Um, I think we've seen from both programs over the last few weeks that Auburn has had a struggle starting fast. Um, You know, the game against Oregon, obviously, even the game against Tulane, they didn't start too great. Um, And I think that, you know, in in College Station, they're going to have to hit the ground running. Um, Bo Nix is not going to have time. I think if he starts slow against A&M to have a miraculous comeback or, you know, against Tulane, they just kind of showed off their talent in the second half. Because I think Texas A&M is too good of a ball club to start that slow. Uh, for A&M, we saw them start, we saw them start, you know, sputter kind of at the start against Clemson. Uh, you know, but comparing A&M's start against Clemson and Auburn's start against Tulane is a whole different, you know, different story. So I think that in this game, whoever starts the fastest will win this game. I think if Auburn comes out, punches A&M in the mouth, um, I think it's going to be a long night. And we're going to see sort of the Kellen Mond we saw against Clemson that looked flustered at times, that didn't look uh, and, and looked like he was pressing a bit to try to get back into that ball game, which is something we've seen him do uh, not just in that Clemson game this year, but also in last year. And I think if A&M punches Auburn in the mouth, then Bo Nix in the guy, and uh, that means Auburn would have to put it on the back of Bo Nix again. And unlike against Oregon, I don't think that they'll have the same type of success against that A&M defense. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but for me, I think A&M wins this ballgame, them being the home team. I trust Kellen Mond over Bo Nix. Um, and I trust Jimbo more than I trust Gus Malzahn, as, as most people should. So um, A&M for me is, is, is the victor in this game. 
Yeah, I mean, look, last time I said I'm going to take the experience of the quarterback, uh, Bo Nix threw a touchdown at the end of the game to beat Oregon. So uh, I'm not going to completely <laughs> count them out or anything, but I think Texas A&M wins this game at home. That's, I mean, that's, I think playing at Texas A&M is way worse than playing at a neutral site, uh, even for your first game. So yeah. it's going to be a rough one for the Tigers, but come on, go Tigers. I mean, I'm rooting for them <laughs> for sure. Uh, the next game here is a fun one because it has the highest over of the week at 73 points. It's um, my Texas Longhorns hosting Oklahoma State. Longhorns are five and a half point favorites, but they've dropped a point. It opened at 65 or uh, they were favored by six and a half. Now it's five and a half and the line opened at seven and a half and it's uh, gained two and a half points as well. Uh, the under is being bet on in this one, too, because that's a ton of points. Uh, 66% of the money on the under. On the spread, the Longhorns are getting 59% of the money. They're getting 99% of the straight up to 1% for Oklahoma State. But Oklahoma State has won five straight matchups against the Longhorns. This is a game that always makes me one of the most nervous for whatever reason, they drop this one, and then they randomly will drop one to stupid Texas Tech every once in a while. So um, this game seems like a high-scoring affair, but a lot of people bet in the under, Nick. Yeah, I, I see it as high-scoring as well. I mean, we touched on it briefly earlier. Chuba Hubbard is the leading rusher in college football, and Tylen Wallace is the leading receiver in college football. And that's that's a, a pretty unique combination there. And, and redshirt freshman quarterback Spencer Sanders has looked really good. Now, they haven't played a team as talented as Texas, obviously. And, and uh, that is, you know, gives you a little bit of, of cause for concern. You know, can uh, the Cowboys, you know, will they be able to operate at the same level offensively against texas well lsu did a, a pretty good job um so there's there's you know there's definitely the potential that that this can be a, a high scoring game similar to what we saw back and forth like the texas lsu game earlier this year um oklahoma state obviously is at a, a talent disadvantage i mean texas uh ranks really really highly in our roster strength ratings they're a top 20 team and as far as uh pure talent goes probably top 15 actually and uh oklahoma state similar to some that we've talked about before has done more with less i mean they've obviously got a talented trio of uh, position players on offense, and, and they've got some other talent as well. I really like A.J. Green, the cornerback. Um, they have been playing without their best linebacker. Calvin Bundage uh, has not played this year. He's a 100-rated player and highly, highly productive, so they've missed him. Uh, not sure what the situation, if he'll be able to come back or not. He's been dealing with a back injury. So they've been a, a, you know not operating at full strength and they've still been very explosive and, and pretty impressive texas you know i i had to talk you off the ledge a little bit or tried to uh, after that <laughs> lsu uh loss and said hey you know just just beat the teams you're supposed to beat uh if you if you beat oklahoma twice then you know hey no problem well if you beat oklahoma twice but you lose to oklahoma state for the fifth or sixth straight time then you know <laughs> and we're yeah. we're not in a in a good spot if, if you're Texas. So uh, they've obviously been been banged up offensively. Uh, seems like the depth at running back is is 
getting closer to uh, full strength. I think they've got uh, another guy back that they've been missing early on. Colin Johnson still listed as questionable. I think he sat out last week, but I heard uh, last I heard, and I, and uh, I okay, so so good to go. Out, last I heard, I think he sat out because it was rice. You know, sure, sure, so, and that makes true. sense. And 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 that's big because I mean, if if you've got a six six guy uh, on one side, and then Devin Duvernay, who's who's really risen to the occasion so far this year on the other then then you're in a good spot uh sam ellinger's gotta like his options if if he's got colin johnson i know he's he's been banged up and he hasn't been as productive as, as we were hoping but um you know he he's his presence means something and, and so that's that's big if he's able to to come back texas has a talent advantage and and our numbers obviously reflect that we've got the longhorns favored by more than nine and a half points but Again, you know, the, the, the eye test and the history and uh, the familiarity with the coaching staff and, and things like that, Mike Gundy obviously has had Texas's number over the past few years. Last year, Texas was sixth in the country, highest that they've been in, what, a decade or so, and Oklahoma State uh, knocked them off. And, and that was a team, at that point, Oklahoma State had already been disappointing a time or two. And so uh, this is a team that that's capable of beating Texas. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter what the talent gap is one way or the other. Always seems to be a close game. I think four of those five losses were by three points. Uh, so I expect that uh, this game might not quite play out the way the numbers see it. We do project a 41-31 final, but I would not be at all surprised if this was a 41-38 something in that range really close and uh it, it wouldn't shock me if if Oklahoma State if uh, Oklahoma State came out on top but I do think Texas is the better team overall so I would expect the Longhorns to win but honestly this one could go either way what do you think Xavier high scoring game should be fun you know everyone says that they don't play defense in uh the Big 12 but uh and Mike Gundy is a man he's 40 he's actually 52 <laughs> Which is I can't can't believe that was twelve years really? ago. By the way, yeah, yeah. goodness, uh, yeah, I'm a man. I'm fifty two, so uh, <laughs> it's been a long time. Gundy's been there for a long. I was eleven. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh, oh God, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. no, you know, I had to slide. That yeah, I was twenty four. Uh, oh my God. So. For twenty four next year, hey, you know, positives, Congrats. positives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so. I don't know. For the first time ever, I don't care about the history. Throw the history out the window. I think Texas is going to run with it, run away with this ball game. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, because for the first time, I think Texas. I won't say I don't think Texas is going to come into this game complacent. Um, they just had their loss against LSU, and I know that they know that their season is riding on this. Uh, more so than maybe in the past when they played them later on in the season and maybe they had a loss or two already on in their resume by that point. I think that Texas understands how much this game means to them. Also, on the Oklahoma State side, I think Oklahoma State is not your typical Mike Gundy-led Oklahoma State team where they just throw the ball around the yard. Uh, when you look at Spencer Sanders' stats, they look very controlled, uh, very game manager-esque. Uh, 43 completions on 64 attempts, 622 yards, Nothing that makes you think that he's a gunslinger by any means. However, when you look at the way that they're running on the ground, Chuba Hubbard, 521 yards on 66 attempts, and Spencer Sanders, 219 yards on 34 attempts. 
that's not Texas's weak point, in my opinion. Texas's weak point, obviously, as we saw in the LSU game, was their DBs. However, in the LSU game, they held LSU to only 100 yards rushing, 87 purely by the running back on 15 carries. So in my opinion, Texas is coming into this game looking at their looking at Oklahoma State thinking, OK, we stopped the run and we're going to force Spencer Sanders to beat us with his arm. And I don't think he has the ability to do so. Um, I think that Oklahoma State's going to come into this game with a lot of confidence, obviously playing a weaker schedule than Texas has up to this point. But I just think Texas talent wise and is 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 far better. And I think that they're going to be more focused. They're also at home. So there's no ability there uh, for them to lose one, uh, you know, going up against the pokes down in Oklahoma State. I think that Texas is far and away the better team. I think that the my projected line for them should be somewhere in the range of 12 or 13. I think Texas is going to run away with this ball game. I think that they're going to get back on track. I hope I'm right. Scott, for <laughs> you, I really hope I'm right. But everything points to everybody's been saying this. I know that there's clippings all around that locker room talking about, you know, it's been five years since they beat Oklahoma State. You know, will this be the end of Texas's season? And those things are going to get, get a team fired up um, and, and probably propel Texas to really want to stomp Oklahoma State into the ground. And I think that they accomplished that on Saturday. I think the bottom line on this game is about stopping Tylen Wallace because the Longhorns were up and then Tylen Wallace put up 200 yards against them. And that was uh, pretty much all she wrote in that game. So I think, like you said, objective number one, stop Chuba. And then after that, if you if you stop him, but you allow Wallace to go for 200 yards, you're not winning that game. And how the hell can you be DBU if you can't stop Joe Burrow and then you let uh, Tylen Wallace torch you too? So that's I think that's going to be the biggest tell in this game is how is Wallace doing? Because I think if he's going crazy, uh, the Longhorns are uh, in for a bad day. But uh, we'll see. You know, uh, Sam Ellinger's got that Tim Tebow laser focus going on right now. So I think Texas wins this game. But I've been wrong for four straight games on that one. So uh, we'll see what happens. How about this last one we've got going on here? Notre Dame at Georgia. Georgia are 14-point uh, favorites. 58.5 is the over here. That has lowered by one point, opened up at 59.5, and, and the line opened at 12.5, so the Bulldogs have gained uh, a point and a half there. 100% of the money is being bet on the under in this game, so we're uh, projecting a grinded-out game between Notre Dame and Georgia, which I think I would expect as well. 84% on Georgia in the money line, 60% on them uh, with uh, taking the points. So, Nick, how do you see the Bulldogs and the Irish in this one? Well, so our numbers are, are you know, I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. I mean, we, we don't see as big a difference uh, between these two teams as the odds makers and, and perhaps the public as well. I mean, two, two touchdowns is a lot. Uh, Georgia obviously is uh, one of the elite teams in the country. They looked absolutely fantastic last week against Arkansas state, which uh, holding that team to, to, you know, shutting out the red wolves is more impressive than maybe some people realize they're, they got a good offense. Pretty good. They're <laughs> pretty good yeah. usually. Uh, the receiving core. They got three guys that are that are uh, capable of putting up big numbers and and a system that's been really productive in the past. So that was impressive. And and Georgia obviously uh, offensively has been very efficient. Uh, Jake Fromm isn't you know 
the most exciting quarterback in the world, but but he gets the job done and and uh, really does uh, orchestrate the offense quite well. The running game has been very strong. The offensive line. They've been banged up, you know, lost uh, a couple of starters have been uh, sitting out from time to time and, and missing practice and things like that. So um, that's a, a tiny bit of a concern. But you think that uh, they've been cautious with those guys and, and maybe sort of gearing up toward uh, this game. So hopefully they'll be at full strength or close to it up front. Uh, the receiving core uh, missed a couple of guys uh, last week. I know Tyler Simmons went out. Uh, with a shoulder injury, and I believe Demetrius Robinson didn't didn't play at all. Did so um, they uh, have have been banged up, but I think both of those guys are expected to be back. But it oper- uh, had some opportunities for the true freshman to get experience, which is great. George Pickens looks amazing; looks like a highlight reel uh, every time you know he, he's flashing up on uh, Sports Center and whatnot. And and then uh, Blaylock has has been very exciting as well. So um, Georgia offensively is going to give Notre Dame problems. Uh, A stat that sort of jumped out at me during my research this week, Notre Dame threw only two games, uh, but ranks 120th in the country in rush defense. And that's, that's a little bit of concern, especially when you look at who they've played Uh, Louisville, who's better than they were, but still not great and New Mexico. And uh, so it's a little bit of a concern that they haven't been able to stop the run thus far. And, and you have to think that George is going to lean on that, uh, especially with that offensive line and, and with Swift and Harry and, and, and those guys. So uh, that that as a matchup is something that makes me think, OK, maybe maybe we're not quite maybe we shouldn't have this game as close as as we do. Um, then on the other hand, I, I look at another stat. I, I Ian Book uh, last week. And, and again, it was against New Mexico, but he completed 62% of his passes, 360 yards, five touchdowns, and he averaged 15 yards an attempt. Pretty much the the magic number for yards per an attempt, and, and that's one stat that is correlated uh, most closely with winning in, in both college football and, and particularly in the NFL, but uh, in, in college football as well. But uh, 10 yards a, an attempt is kind of the magic number. Kyler Murray set a record with 11.6 last year, and for Ian Book to be at 15, it, it you know you could you could be thrown on air and, and 15 <laughs> yards and that's that's still pretty impressive. So uh, that is is something that makes me think a little bit because I know again Georgia has been banged up a little in the secondary. They've they've had injuries at several different spots. So uh, Tyreek Stevenson, I know missed practice. I think Monday and and he's been a starter. Uh, at corner so far this year. So there there are some reasons to be optimistic if you're looking for a way that Notre Dame can keep this close. They have looked really good in the passing game, and they do have uh, some some really good uh, defensive backs. Aloe Gilman is an All-American candidate at safety. They've got a true freshman safety who's just been phenomenal. Um, Tyler Hamilton, I believe is his name. Um, and, and, you know, they've got some, some really good guys at different spots, been really impressed with Ian book. Um, and you know, from a pure talent standpoint, these teams aren't very different. I mean, Georgia does have an edge, but, uh, believe it or not, our head coach ratings actually give the edge to Brian Kelly. He's one of the top five coaches in our head coach rating. So I think Notre Dame can keep it pretty close. I'm not really 
uh, disagreeing with our final score prediction. We've got Georgia winning, but 28-24. I wouldn't be surprised if this gets into the, you know, small double digits. Maybe Georgia wins by 10, but uh, I think there's a good shot that the Irish can cover. Now let's go to the completely unbiased Xavier. Uh, (laughs) Xavier, uh, your Bulldogs hosting Notre Dame. This was a good one last year. Uh, What do you think about this one? Oh, two years ago, but um, uh, two years ago, my bad. Yes, but um, okay. So the eye test tells me this game won't be close, and it's pretty much what Nick said. Um, Notre Dame has yet to stop the run against either one of the teams that they've played, and I don't think New Mexico or Louisville are beating down the door for the college football playoff either. Um, so that would cause me for concern if I was a Notre Dame fan. The one thing that I would obviously look to as a Notre Dame fan when it comes to my defense is that Georgia's very young on the outside, which means if you can slow down the run game, then you have to look to that, you know, you're, you're hoping that the chemistry between Jake Fromm and the receivers will be tested this week. Um, you know, I think that, yes, we've had good games against the two opponents that we've played. However, once again, those two t- opponents aren't knocking down the door of any playoff anytime soon. And so th- for, for me, as as a defensive coordinator, I would be going into this game thinking I'm going to try to confuse Jake Fromm, throw him different coverages, and take away the short game that Jake Fromm has been so, you know, um, so amazing at throughout his career in Georgia, just taking what the defense gives him. Um, and I think that that's what you have to take away from Notre Dame as far as the defense is concerned. As far as offensively for Notre Dame, I think that they have to look at making Ian Book more of a runner than just a passer. I think that Ian Book is is sneakily athletic, and I'm not just using that term. I think that he actually can, you know, beat people with his legs, and I think he's going to have to do that this week for them to have success. They have yet to have real success on the ground in the pure running game. Uh, outside of the, um, in the New Mexico game, excuse me, in the Louisville game, they uh, did actually really well. But in both games, Ian Book ran for 50-plus yards. And I think that him as a runner is going to be a key if they're going to want to stay in this ballgame and give Georgia a test. Um, overall, though, I think Georgia is just a more talented team, and um, I don't think it's going to be a blowout or a rout. Um, but I think what is going to separate Georgia in this game is that uh, is, is that it's Jake Fromm's third year. Last time Notre Dame saw Jake Fromm, it was his freshman year, and he looked like a freshman most of the time. I think now in year three, although he has young receivers, he's going to be able to better, you know, uh, assess and and, and didact the defense. And uh, I think that's going to be tough for them if they cannot stop the running game. And ultimately, I don't think that they're going to be able to. And um, they can't bank on like what they did in the Louisville game, just uh, hoping that you want, that the quarterback just isn't good enough throwing the football to where they can just pack the box. It's just not going to happen. And so over, overall, I think that's just going to be too overwhelming for the Notre Dame defense to, uh, to stop in the long run. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, 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 I don't – all I know is I'm taking the under in this game Uh, i'll say that because i think the defenses are good so i think this is going to be more of a slug it out game i don't know if this is a game i want to put my money on but if someone put a gun to my head i would pick george at home i i think that that's uh the smart bet that's where the smart money is going but uh, i don't you know if i had to pick this game it would come close to last you know i would put uh everything i own on Washington State beating UCLA before I'd put $5 on Georgia or Notre Dame. So, uh, but that's why we don't talk about that game. That one seems fairly obvious. But that is going to be 
all the games that we covered today. Before we get out of here, of course, Nick, tell everybody about the CFB Winning Edge Patreon. Yeah, uh, if you want to support this podcast, check out patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Um, I've touched on a lot of our, you know, facts and figures and ratings and, and things like that over the past. But this week, it's really been paramount that probably the the most valuable thing we can offer is if you join as a tier two patron for $15 a month, you get access to our FBS team profiles. We've built uh, full rosters and depth charts with injury uh, reports and suspension transfers. We, we try to keep track of all that stuff. And uh, this week we've mentioned so-and-so's questionable, so-and-so's doubtful. You know, this this quarterback's been banged up. We try to track all of that information and, and keep track of that in our team profiles for all 130 teams. And obviously we're not going to be perfect, but, but all week I'm in there making updates and, and trying to get uh, the most notes out of that as possible and, and seeing how, you know, if so-and-so is, is going to be out this week, how that impacts our roster strength numbers and our team strength numbers and how that impacts our overall projection. So uh, if you are interested in supporting this podcast and you want uh, what I think is, is probably one of the best uh, collections of, of depth charts and roster uh, and and injury reports out there please do check us out uh, we really would appreciate it and uh that uh, would be available to our tier two patrons there for our fbs team profiles and remember you can follow us all on twitter at cfb winning edge for nick at xavier underscore trish t-r-i-c-h-e for him on the twitter and me at bogman sports good luck with all your bets for week four and we will see you guys next week take it easy everybody <laughs>